Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Welcome to this special episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. My name is Patrick Custer, and I'm your host. I am so excited to welcome the amazingly talented, multi-platinum selling singer, songwriter, actress, and now author, Lauren Elena. Welcome to the show. What an introduction. Thank you. Hi. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, it's well-deserved. Um, and you know, while we're talking about your accolades, I can't move forward without mentioning, um, congratulations are in order for your recent induction into the Grand Old Opry. Thank you. I was, I don't know if you saw the video, but I was pretty surprised and overwhelmed. It was such a special night. Well, I was going to ask, I did see the video, but for anybody who didn't, Trisha Yearwood came out on stage and surprised you. You had no idea it was going to happen. And I mean, like what a cool way, cause I know she's one of your, I'm role models and friends. Um, what a cool way for that to take place. It was I literally I'm hard to surprise because I'm quite nosy. So I'm always like <laughs> something's going on here. But yeah. I genuinely had no idea. I think it's the only time in my life I remember being completely surprised. There, there was no part of me that had even a slight inkling that that was going to happen. So it was actually kind of perfect. And and Trisha came out there and and she actually wrote the foreword for my book and the Mm -hmm. book had just come out. So I thought she was coming out there to talk to me about the book or something related to the book. So even until the moment where she was like, your dad's here. And I realized my dad actually was there. That That's the moment like a light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, wait a minute, this is not happening. It was so yeah. awesome. What a cool way to make a special moment even more special. Um, that's just so great. Well, so moving forward, I believe that collectively we're all looking to 2022, hopeful for great things. And I know you're preparing to launch your tour for your um, new album, Sitting Pretty on Top of the World. And uh, it feels like you're someone who really does thrive on changing the world for the better, um, just a little bit differently every step of your journey. So are there any special goals that you have for this next chapter that you're embarking on? I actually have partnered with Maurice's and I am their first ever brand ambassador, which is kind of crazy because they've been around for over 90 years and they've never had a brand ambassador. So I'm excited about that. We are going to be partnering with them and lifting up a bunch of women in the communities that we're going to. And it's all about female empowerment. So I'm just excited to be able to spotlight some women that are super deserving of being acknowledged and to use my platform to do that. I'm just, I'm just really excited. And honestly, I'm just ready to get back on stage too. Like I cannot 
wait, I've missed it so much. I can only imagine. Well, that's really cool. I'm glad to know about that. Well, you're certainly no stranger to vulnerability and, and sharing the truth of where you've come from, the beauty, brokenness, and healing. So let's dive right into your story um, and just kind of where it all started. Where'd, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Rossville, Georgia. It's North Georgia, close to Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's right on the Tennessee line. Um, it's kind of a small town. I think there's like 4,000 people in it, but it's pretty close to Chattanooga. So it doesn't feel that small. Awesome. Yeah. I've got a, a couple people that I work with that are actually from Rossville as well. So oh, I've well. definitely heard of it. Yep. Yeah. What a small um, world. <laughs> yeah. Really cool. So uh, what were some of your earliest uh, musical influences? I grew up obsessed with the 60s, actually, which is kind of funny. Um, Connie Francis, Brenda Lee. I was a big Patsy Cline fan. I also listened to a lot of Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton. Um, And then I had like more current people like Trisha Yearwood, uh, Shania Twain, the Dixie Chicks, um, all kinds of people. I mean, I had a lot of, wow, I only named women. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that female empowerment man yeah uh, you know they, yes. they, they paved the way for me so and for all the women now but I actually grew up singing in a uh, I opened up for an Elvis impersonator in Gatlinburg when I wow. was gosh I think 10 or 11 and I wore a poodle skirt and did the whole deal it was so funny um so I, I, I grew up listening to a lot of oldies music and then my dad also raised me on rock and roll and traditional country so I had a kind of a mixture of all of it this is the best talking about when you were younger was was there a time when you just started to notice that you notably felt different than the other kids around you yeah I've always felt a little different actually um I didn't know that that was a good thing until I was much older, but I was just, I was always the loudest, always, um, yeah, I was just the, the, the biggest personality always. Um, but I did know from a pretty young age that I was able to sing really well compared to people my age and adults, actually, when I was young, like I'd, and I always knew I would be a singer. As long as I can remember, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. That's so cool. Not not too many people can say that they, you know, had a dream that they had from childhood that they got to stick with and, and actualize, you know, throughout their life and then continue to use it for positive, you know, the good, the, the platform that you are. Um, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is truly a blessing. Um, I've realized the older I've gotten how rare and special that is that I from such an early age had a pretty clear vision of what I wanted to do now it has not at all you know been predictable or (laughs) easy or um, expected but I did kind of always know that I would end up on the stage somehow which has been really special to see kind of very cool yeah it's been it's been neat to watch from the other side uh to watch your your career it's been very unique um and you know we'll we'll talk about your book in just a minute but but you do such a good job of describing you know that that whole process um 
of since you know getting fame at and idol and and moving forward so i don't want to jump ahead of myself but do you remember i kind of want to dive into things surrounding your eating disorder here because it's it's a something i really want to highlight in, in your healing journey and everything do you remember when you first started seeing your body through a distorted lens yes i probably i was in fifth or sixth grade i would say i think the first time i remembered feeling different in mm. that way like that my body looked different i was in fifth grade and i had a slumber party and i think i tell this story in my book i can't remember but i um, I was having a slumber party with a bunch of girls over and my mother had this adhesive bra. She had washed it and you kind of have to like let them air dry or whatever. So she had it in the windowsill and then the girls went back to school and told everyone that I wore butt pads, that my butt was fake. Um, and I came home. Well, first of all, I was 10 or however old you are in fifth grade. So that's never good. And I just realized that my body was shaped differently. I think for the first time I like, I felt different and not in a good way. And so I came home and asked my mom and my mom handled it so well and said that I was beautiful and it was good to be unique. And I just remember I didn't want to be unique. You do not want to be unique when you're a kid. Like you just no. want to fit in. <laughs> yeah. You want to be like everybody else. And so that was kind of the first time I remember really feeling different and seeing a difference in myself. Cause when you're a kid, you, you're, you don't have like a jaded lens yet, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but then when I was in middle school, I remember I, I played softball my, all of my childhood and uh, had a pretty like athletic build. And then I wanted to be a cheerleader and I wasn't built like the gymnasts, you know, I was a lot taller than them and um, more athletic looking, whereas they were leaner, I was more muscular. And that's kind of when the eating disorder developed. It's actually yeah. really devastating because that is so young. And um, well, I- on that, Yeah, I was going to say on that know, topic, and I know you talk about this in the book, but I, I feel like- I, I want to highlight it specifically and ask you about it because um, I believe for most of us who are in recovery or actively struggling with any type of process or chemical addiction, it's etched into our brains, that exact situation, when and where we were first exposed to the harmful solutions we've used to cope. So like that light bulb moment, when you realize there was a shortcut you could take in pursuit of reaching happiness in the body defined by other people. Um, what, what was that for you? Do you, do you remember? I yes, I do. Uh, it's actually really sad because I was in health class mm. and there was a video about this young girl who had an eating disorder and she ended up being she she had bulimia mm -hmm. and it ended up getting so bad for her that she had to be hospitalized so the whole point of this video was to inform us not not to use that solution right but all i could see as this young girl who just desperately wanted to be thinner and wanted to look more like the gymnastics girls and and wanted to be less, 
Um, I saw that the girl was really thin and I thought, well, that's how you do it. And so my bulimia started around that age. Um, and at first I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was like, I didn't go from zero to a hundred. It was more like if I ate a certain thing, like if I had a piece of cake, I would, you know, purge. Or if I felt like I ate too much food and then it just kind of slowly developed into this horrific disease um, that I was just, it, it, I mean, it consumed my life for a long time. What was your level of awareness and insight into the possible harm this was causing your body as time progressed? You know, I don't know that I understood. I don't think I understood fully, mm-hmm. honestly, how negatively it was affecting my body. Um, I genuinely don't think that I had the light bulb moment of the severity of it until the moment I was sitting in front of a doctor. Yeah. Um, and my mom had taken me to see this doctor and it, you know, the purging and just being unhealthy in general, Mm -hmm. uh, really affected my vocal cords and my singing has always been my escape. So when that Mm -hmm. threatened, that was my wake up call. And then I realized, oh my gosh, all of my hair has fallen out and oh my gosh, my fingernails won't grow. And I have no energy and I'm actually extremely unhealthy and this is no way to live. But it, it took that moment of, Hey, if you don't stop doing this, you're never going to sing again for me to like really realize how negatively it affected my body and my life. But until that moment, I really don't think I understood the weight of how, how much that it was affecting me. I think so many of us that, like I said, struggle with one form or another of any type of addiction can identify with that feeling of, I have more time. This is helping me right now. I don't like just letting denial kind of drive (laughs) the train, if you will, um, until it's either too late or, you know, fortunately for some of us, we hit a bottom where there's still hope. And so I'm so glad as we'll talk about here in a few minutes, the the healing that you got to and, and what have you. So were you scared? And, and this is something that a lot of people, uh, I think fail to touch on in the midst of sickness. Um, were you scared that someone was going to find out your secret relationship to food? Because there's this whole like shame cycle that we either are or are not aware of, um, you know, that's, that's going on in the background that we use, you know, you kind of touched on it, the rules that you had for yourself. If I eat this much, then I have to purge and yada, yada, yada. Um, but it's all, that is all very, um, like we keep that close. It's very secretive and very, I mean, it's like sacred almost. So was there a, like a core fear that you had that somebody was gonna, that you were gonna be found out? Oh my gosh, yes. I would say a huge part of my eating disorder was the, I was always shameful and always scared that my mom was gonna figure it out or my friends would figure it out or the the, the world would figure it out, right? Cause I was, I was in the public eye and I was trying to 
juggle this whole new lifestyle plus an eating disorder plus a new schedule plus hiding all of it and the 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 shame i mean i remember when i was found out i was so humiliated and i felt so undeserving of love and i felt like i had destroyed myself and that everybody was going to judge me and reject me and it actually was the opposite i mean i got so much overwhelming love and support and people that didn't judge me even people who didn't understand like people would say things like how could you how could you do this or how could you do that which by the way is never the right thing to say <laughs> to someone that's like recovering you know but um i just felt an overwhelming sense of love and i think that's something that we don't realize you know we we get and we get in the shame game and the blame game and yes. we get so stuck in we are bad and we no one will understand us and and no one will love us if they know this and mm -hmm. it's actually the opposite and you know what i found to be so interesting a lot of people knew that i was struggling mm -hmm. but i didn't think did um you know, I would, I would pretend to eat food or I would, I mean, I, you name it, I did it. When it comes to food, if there's an option to be unhealthy and have an unhealthy mindset around it, I, I did it. Um, yeah. But I always thought that I was like <laughs> hiding it so well and no one was ever going to know. And that's just not true. I think no one really knew how to approach me about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm so thankful my mom finally did. She she saved my life. Um, so was she the one when you say many people knew that it was going on or had at least had an idea that something was wrong? But you said, you know, when when you were finally found out, did you tell a person or were was was it that that moment that everybody's scared of <laughs> um, of like getting caught in the situation and having to say, OK, yeah, this is this is actually happening. Well, you know, my mother was traveling with me. And so I was spending every, every single second with my mother. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I lost like 30 pounds in a month, probably. It was pretty drastic. Um, and, and I like had my mother just knew, but she didn't, yeah. she didn't really know how to approach me about it. So we went, I went to the doctor for my vocal cords actually. And, uh, was pretty blindsided by it, honestly. Mm -hmm. We we sat down and uh, we were talking about my my cords, my vocal cords, and problems I was having. And my my doctor said, "Have you ever had any issues with an eating disorder?" And I remember, first of all, just someone saying "eating disorder" out loud. I was like, internal panic immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, uh, that was like. We don't talk about food. What, what? Why are we? Why is this doctor bringing this up to me? Like mm -hmm. he's not a nutritionist, true nutritionalist. Why? Like, why is he? Uh, his job is not. He's not a nutritionist. So why we are is not he not paying him for this? Yeah. <laughs> and um, in in all reality, my mother had discussed it with him um, outside the room and how she didn't know how to help me. And she thought that I was really struggling. And so uh, when he asked the question, I lied, obviously. 
that they tend to go hand in hand. And I said, no, oh, of course. No. And my mother did that very motherly thing where she, and she said, Lauren, and I'll never forget the way she said it, mm. the way I felt. And I just, it was like that moment of, uh, I like looked at my mom and I was like, oh no. I remember being like, she knows, she knows. How does she know? So then I'm having this whole panic, like, how are you going to get yourself out of this? How are you going to lie your way out of this? Because clearly your mother knows. And I just lost it. Mm. And um, my mother and I actually went to a beach house for a couple of weeks and just played games and hung out. And she was just nothing but accepting and loving. And that kind of started the journey. But it took me a while even after that. Um mm. It wasn't like a, I flipped the switch off and boom, no longer had this eating disorder. It was a journey for me sure. to get to a place of recovery, but who that fear and that moment of, that's the moment you never want to have with any sort of addiction or mm. issue is being found out. It's your, it's your biggest nightmare, you know? It is. It is. I can say as a, I'm recovering from plenty of other things. And I know I had that same, I had that same moment as well. It's the moment that we are so scared of, but we so desperately need. And, and um, you know, it's the thing that finally saves our life. Um, so what did, what did getting help look like? I know you said uh, you went and spent some time away from everything with your mom, but um, were there, did, did you do any sort of treatment or therapy? Was there any, what type of initial, um, interventions, if you will, existed that helped to um, pave that initial way for you to get better? Well, looking back, I wish I had been. No, I don't. But I, I definitely was a candidate for being put in a treatment center. Mm -hmm. I did not do that. Um, I have a very one loving and wonderful mother who kind of assumed the role of helping me through it. Yeah. Um, and with her being with me every single second, she and I made like, she just made a plan with me of like, I mean, when you purge and you binge and you're that person, you go to the bathroom after you eat every time. So yep. my mother started making sure I wasn't doing that. So a lot of it, a lot of my recovery initially was, uh, I was very reliant on my mother and then we did end up seeking professional help. I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety disorder. And so I was given medication for that, which really helped because I realized that I, I didn't have the tools to handle what was happening to me. And this was almost like a control issue more than a weight issue. And I felt so out of control that the eating disorder was something I could control. So once I kind of got on the right medication and, and kind of, you know, evened myself out a bit, I started, I started doing better and I started exercising. I started eating well. I actually got on a, a, a meal plan of like that I didn't have to feel shameful about. And now um, I'm 27 and it's still something that I deal with daily. I will never reach a place where... Um, I've arrived. <laughs> Every day I have to choose to not be extreme. Every day I have to choose right. to make the right choices so that I don't get into a place of those severe habits. Um, 
So I exercise five days a week at least. I eat well. Um, I, I try to meditate. I, I have things in place now as far as recovery goes. I see a therapist regularly. And then I have another therapist specifically for my eating disorder. And when I, you know, before I did Dancing with the Stars, I had a, I had a moment of panic because I would say something that severely affected my eating disorder was being on national television at 16 mm -hmm. years old. And, you know, that TV gives me a little bit of anxiety to, around my body. So I had to go to a therapist once a week leading up to Dancing with the Stars because I found myself wanting to be extreme again. So the road to recovery is, you know, it's, it's never ending. It's always something right. that has to be a priority in your life. It has to be something that you, you know, I've never, I've never dealt with like drug or alcohol addiction, but I do understand it. I think to a certain degree because of my eating disorder, that was just what I chose as, you know, my addiction. That was my addiction. It's interesting that you bring that up because, um, you know, I watched you perform this past year at a benefit for one of Nashville's most special nonprofit organizations, the Next Door Treatment Center for Women. And you opened up in a moment of vulnerability and shared about having um, the recent realization about the similarities between your past with disordered eating and people struggling with substance use disorders. Um, and I bring this up to say, I think that so many people aren't aware of that actuality, right? Like we've all got that core at the base root. These behaviors are just outward symptoms of unhealed trauma. Yes. Um, and I love that you highlighted that. It's just like you expressed this like, oh, it finally, you know, it finally dawned on me. And I think that a lot of us have that, especially in America, where people struggle with our relationship with food in all ways, shapes and forms and from varying different degrees. So, you know, to the people that do find themselves struggling with their relationship with food and not knowing the cause, the underlying cause or whatever, that they just know maybe something's off. What message do you want to convey to those that, that are struggling and who've yet to admit that they might need help? Admitting that you have a problem is the hardest part, was the hardest part of it for me. So that my advice around that would just be find someone in your life, like my mom, Find someone in your life that you can count on, that you can trust. And that that's easier said than done because you like, like we talked about the fear and the shame, but it's so worth it, you know, to be on the other side of it and to, and to look back. And, and I, I think about my 18 year old self and, and just what I was putting myself through on a daily basis. If I could just hug that girl, you know, I, I would encourage people to, I say this a lot, try to see yourself from the outside looking in. Like if you were your best friend, what would that person need and what would you do for them? Because we, we get so in our own heads about ourselves that we're not able to, to see ourselves from the outside perspective. But that's in reality, that's how everyone else 
sees us. So if you can just think about how you would look at, if your best friend or your sister or your brother or someone that you really, really, really love was going through what you're going through and had your feelings, how would you nurture them? How would you love them? And we have to find a way to do that for ourselves and to let other people do that for us. And it took me years and years of therapy and, and recovery to, to get into a place of healing like that. And it is hard and it, it's not easy. You know, I say in the, my book, the problem with an eating disorder is it works. You know, the goal is to be thin or the goal is to be, you know, to eat with whatever and and it works and it's reinforced by society when people say yes yes and like what you know when I was my thinnest people were like wow what are you doing you look so yeah. great I was purging all my food for six years mm -hmm. you know so it's just I would just encourage people to I deep down you know you do know that if you have a problem you don't want to admit it so I would just encourage people to, to love themselves and make it a priority to treat themselves the way that they would want, you know, to treat other people. And I think that's great advice. Absolutely. Um, I know we're almost out of time and something that I really wanted to hit on while we're, we're having this discussion is how, um, you know, you mentioned your book, what a great book, by the way. I, um, I'm not a big reader, so I do audio books and I loved it because I got to hear your voice. I felt like I got to know you even more <laughs> through the whole thing. So I'd encourage anybody listening, go get the book. It's so, so good called getting yeah. good at being you. Um, and you know, it talks about everything from all your struggles to healing, to how you healed and just so wonderful. But lastly, I just wanted to touch on how you open up about your father's, um, addiction and that trajectory, how you, you know, dealt with it and everything. If there's one thing that you could say about the, the story of, of your father, his addiction, getting, getting into recovery, what would you say to somebody struggling with a loved one like you did? What is, what is the one thing that you would close out with a word of encouragement to them today? Whew. Um, So my father is a recovering alcoholic. He is eight years sober. Um, he was in his addiction very heavily for most of my childhood. Um, I remember as a child thinking that if I prayed hard enough or if I did this, or if I was a good enough daughter, or if I cleaned the house or if I did all these things, my dad would get better. And I think the thing that I would like to say to someone in that position is you are not responsible for their addiction. Mm. I think that was the biggest thing I learned is that, and, and to give them love and grace because they're hurting. And like you said, it is stemming from an, un, uh, from a trauma that wasn't dealt with you know nobody wants to be an alcoholic nobody wants to be a drug addict when you find kids in kindergarten and they say what do you want to be when you grow up no one ever says a drug addict or an alcoholic if things happen to that little kid you know in their life where they they made a decision that started them down this path and I would just say if you if you can you know think of them as as a little kid before that addiction and, and, and to find love for them 
and and for yourself and give yourself grace and give them grace it is so worth it oh my goodness no worries. Hey, I, right. thank you. I know that we are running out of time. Thank you so much, Lauren, for spending thank this time you. with us. I, I really, really, truly appreciate it. Um, you're such a blessing. And I wish you all the best in this year and your tour and, and all that you have uh, coming up. Well, thank you. And thank you for your time. And I, once again, am just, I'm, I'm thankful to be here. I'm, I'm thankful for what you guys are doing and that I can be a part of it. So I just really appreciate it. Awesome. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself. 